Hey, this is the podcast of Sue Wesleyan Church's sermon from our Sunday worship services. I'm Pastor Brooks, the one who usually teaches here. Whether you're a regular attender or just listening in for a sample of what our church is like, I really hope this benefits your growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I want, I want to shift gears a little bit from, from announcements and rah, rah, we can do it together because we can do it together into this new teaching series called Recovery. Um, we're going to, for the next eight weeks, look at some principles uh, sourced from the Beatitudes, kind of in line with what we might know as some of the 12 steps of recovery, and, and talk through the next eight weeks about that. I think it's something powerful for us that, that we all Need and I know some of you are like I don't need recovery groups. I mean, I, I I've conversed with some people who are just like I don't need therapy. I don't need counseling. I don't need. I don't need. I don't need all of this. And maybe you, in some areas, don't. But truly, if we understand what the Bible says about us, we are all broken and need fixed. And if we're to be a real church, a Bible-believing church, we can't deny that we're all in recovery. If we want to just put on a show and come together and like get a punch card, I don't know if anybody cares anymore that you go to church, if you feel like you're impressing somebody by going to church. But we don't care about that. We realize that we are not just a haven, we're a hospital, that we are broken and there are others who are broken and the sooner we wake up to that, the healthier a church we're going to be. Is if we just pretend like we've got it all together, nobody's going to care when you serve in the community. You're not, you're not going to make a difference if you're just pretending like you have it all together. And you're like, isn't that what church is? Just learning how to pretend like I've got it all together? I hope that's not anything you ever learned here or anywhere else. If, if so, unlearn it. Unlearn it because we have a good shepherd who realizes our brokenness and made a way for us to be right. It's not just that, that's like, that's not the good news is you're broken. <laughs> the good news is there's a savior. The good news is there's a way to heaven. And so we got to realize that we have a, a good shepherd. In New Zealand, also known as Middle Earth, um, by those of you who like Tolkien, Peter Jackson, there, there was a sheep um, who, uh, who they ended up naming Shrek. He became famous several years ago because Shrek had evaded in the caves and the awesome, I mean, New Zealand, a pretty cool place, but in the caves, he had been hiding from his shepherd for over six years. And so this kind of sheep did not, does not shed its wool. It needs to be shorn. It needs to, to be clipped every year. And so after six years, that's what this sheep looks like. Now, it might like look kind of funny, but that's not how a sheep should look. That, that, that baby is clobbered with fleece. And when he was finally found and shaved, his fleece weighed an amazing 60 pounds uh, at, at its biggest, a fleece should weigh just under 15 pounds. 60 pounds he's wearing. And for years he carried this simply because he was away from his shepherd. 
And so he became kind of famous in New Zealand, met the prime minister, all that sort of stuff. And then they, they had a, an expert shearer come and take care of his fleece in 28 minutes. If you, I don't know, this is just random, but I've, I, as a pastor and the whole sheep shepherd thing you, you preach about once in a while, I've YouTubed like, like how do you shave a sheep? Because there's, so, there's stuff about that. Like as a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth speaking about Jesus. So I wanted to watch, what do sheep do? No, when they get on their back, they kind of go in this sedate sort of mode. They can do it pretty quick, but in tw- it took 28 minutes, which sounds pretty quick, but it actually, it took a little longer for this shearer to shear this sheep, Shrek. 28 minutes. And then they had this, this coat uh, made up for him named Shrek, and that's him next to his fleece that was open. I mean, 60 pounds. Talk about like an extreme makeover, right? Like in, in just 28 minutes, his life totally changed because he had stopped hiding from his shepherd. Jesus describes himself as a good shepherd. What sort of 60-pound fleece are you wearing? Can you, and it doesn't take just 28 minutes for our life to change. We're doing eight weeks of this series, and, and it's, it's amazing what God can do in eight seconds. It's amazing what God can do in eight weeks, eight months, eight years. But for many of us, the hurts are pretty deep, and, and it might take some time. So don't come over the next eight weeks and go like, I, that didn't help. <laughs> like, none of us would do that like going to the gym. Like, well, I did like one push-up. I should be fine now, right? Why aren't these pecs dancing like Terry Crews? We, we know that that doesn't work that way, but we have a shepherd who is good. And so the first step, first principle that we need to learn together is to realize we're not God, realize we're not him. You, you probably knew that, but you might be acting like it. You might be acting like you're powerful when you need to admit that we're powerless to control our tendency to do the wrong thing and that our life has become unmanageable. The, the um, beatitude that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5 is this, happy are those who know that they're spiritually poor. So knowing that you're spiritually poor, God says, you're happy, you're blessed. I'm, I wish we could all take a before picture right now. If we were really serious about growing in Christ, if we're really serious about recovery, what God could do in the next six months, the before and the after picture, if you could take like a, a soul selfie and, and just see how 60 pounds could come off of your back. I mean, it might not feel common to walk around without that fleece, without what you've been hiding from God, because you don't want that getting taken care of. But it's going to be good. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I want you to turn in your Bibles or turn in your devices or uh, grab a Bible from that 
cart that's at the back of the sanctuary and keep it if you don't have one. To 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but almost to Revelation. The back of your Bibles to the, to the letter, first letter that John wrote. 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 8. If you don't want to do any of that, look up at the screen. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. His word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Verse 8 uses this small word that we don't maybe use very much. It's called sin. It says if we claim to be without it, we're, we're a liar. If we claim to be with it. Well, so what is it? What is this word sin? In the Greek, it's the word harmatia. Um, if I pronounce that wrong, I don't think anybody's offended because none of you look Greek. But harmatia, it was used, um, uh, it was, it's a Greek term, typically translated as tragic flaw kind of mistake or error, if you were reading Oedipus lately, you know, um, from, what is it, Aristotle? You're like, yes, of course I was reading Oedipus this morning. Um, he would, he, all of his characters would have a harmatia, this tragic flaw where they're missing the mark. Maybe you've heard that before. That something about them is off and they, they have this error. And so if we claim that we don't have error, if we don't have a flaw, we deceive ourselves. We're liars. And you say, well, I know I'm perfect. But do any of the following comments sound familiar to you? Do you ever say stuff like this? Honey, let's pretend that didn't happen. He doesn't really drink that much. It doesn't really hurt when he does that to me. I'll, I'm fine. Well, he does that more than I do. You know what those statements are? They're, they're statements of denial. We deceive ourselves. That's called denial. It's a coping mechanism. It's not a very good one, but it's one that we use. You can, like, if you live in denial, you can be like, at least it's a coping mechanism. It's not a good one. But denial, and, and as we go through this series, there's a ton of acrostics that are just, uh, just uh, if you like acrostics, they're great. Here's some of the effects of denial. The D could stand for this. It disables our feelings. And if, if you're living in denial, you, you have like fake feelings that you put on rather than the real ones. Because the real ones, I'm hurt. I'm broken. I, I know there's a flaw there, but I don't want to acknowledge it before anybody else or before God. Or even really at the forefront of my mind, I don't want to admit that. And so it disables our feelings. Also, we lose energy. Denial just saps our bones. Not enough, there's not enough coffee in the world to give energy to some of you who are dragging around some of the stuff that you drag around, that I drag around. There's not enough coffee. And so we, we lose so much energy Wasting energy dealing with or not dealing with past hurts and feelings and worried about the future, dreading the future, or, or dealing with the only ifs or the if-onlys. 
if only they would have done that, if only I would have gotten that job, if only I would have married somebody else, if only I would have gone to this school, if only my parents wouldn't have done this, maybe if I would have done this, if only my parents... And it drains our emotions, and we lose energy with our, our, our ifs. Denial negates growth, because as someone said, we are as sick as our secrets. So when you live in denial, that secret, you're not going to get any healthier than that thing. A lot of people have grown, they've been hurt, they've been broken, they did stupid things, stupid things have been done to them. And that doesn't make a person grow necessarily. It's when people step out of denial. Because denial isolates us from God. That's the I in denial. In Genesis chapter 3, remember, just, I mean, if you're like planning to read the Bible in the year, you should have already got to Genesis 3. I hope. I mean, if you're starting that way, if you're doing another Bible, that kind of another reading plan that kind of mixes it up a little bit. But it isolates us from God. Because what do Adam and Eve do after they eat? They hide. Get away from God. God, don't look at what I'm doing. It alienates us from our relationships with others. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, Stop lying to each other. Tell the truth. For we are parts of each other, and when we lie to each other, we're hurting ourselves. A lot of your relationships, you're like, why are those relationships fading away? Are you really connecting with those people? Like, really, letting them see, warts and all. Not just having friends based off of your social media profiles, that you only show your friends the good stuff in life. But do we stop lying to our friends and get open with each other? One of the beautiful things that I hear about is, is when our group leaders of, our, of our, our sermon study groups, of our community groups, whatever we call them, small groups, when they open up and share, when they get vulnerable, when they no longer live in denial and pretend to play the game, when they do that, it sets a tone in the whole group and the group comes together because somebody has acknowledged that there's brokenness and that we need a savior and they tell the truth. It alienates us from our relationships, denial does, Leads us to loneliness, and final L is this, it lengthens the pain. It's false to believe that living in denial will protect you from the pain. In reality, it allows the pain to fester. I like that word, fester, because it's dirty sounding. I don't know if Uncle Fester on Adam's family was... Was Uncle Fester, right? Yeah, in Adam's family, or I'm mixing it up with the Munsters. The Munsters and Adam family, like just to me, kind of blur together. But Fester, just this dirty sort of word. But that's what happens when we live in denial. It allows allows sin to and pain to grow and turn into shame and turn into guilt. Denial extends the hurt. It multiplies problems, but truth. Truth is like surgery. It's going to hurt maybe for a while, but it cures. There's a meme, or I always call it mem in my head. I know that's probably not right. Um, that goes around. It's, it's this uh, picture of this dog sitting in a room. And um, it's on fire, the room is. And uh, 
this is fine, right? Like, the room is on fire, and he's just kind of sitting. And then, I'm okay with the events that are currently unfolding. His hat is on fire, and he's just sipping like it's going on. There's two more panes to this comic that I don't show you because, like, they're cartoony, but they're kind of graphic. I mean, he's on, like, his flesh is starting to melt, and he's going, this is all right. That's a picture of denial, Saying, I don't have sin. I don't have any flaws. John says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Jill and I used to have cable years ago. We don't have cable anymore um, for a couple reasons. Um, But we haven't had cable for a while. But I remember one show that we used to watch. I don't know what the title of it was. Maybe it was just called Hoarders. Um, I think there's a bunch of shows like that now. Um, Just weird stuff. Apparently, these people um, invited people with cameras to come to their house and see the disgusting nature of, of like what they had hoarded at their house. I mean, just and and it was it's like the train wreck sort of TV. I, I remember when we watched it. It's just like ew, you know. That's just just ew. Everything about this and just like it, it made you. Um, like watching Biggest Loser, it made you want to change your life, but instead, while you're watching it, you order more stuff online. I don't know how that works, but like you, you watch it and you're just like, ew, it's so wrong. But the thing that got me, at least from my recollection of those shows, is they get these people and they start dragging their stuff out. And of course, you need to have something in your house. And so they, they would have their stuff on, on tarps and they say, okay, you need to keep like a little bit, right? It's still a bedroom. You still need stuff. Let's put the stuff you want on this. And what would happen every time is these people would argue with the people who are trying to help them, right? It's, no, 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 I need that thing. It's like, seriously, you need 500 drinking straws in your bedroom? Why do you have 500 drinking straws in your bedroom? Well, you never know. It was a good deal. I got these things. My grandkids, I might use it. And then, like, they're, they're showing them stuff, and they're like, oh, I, I forgot I had that and they argue with them when they want to go throw stuff away. And it always gets me because I'm like, you're on the show, right? Like, you, you knew this is how it would go. Why are you fighting the current? Maybe it just makes for good TV. But on Sundays and on other days when the church gathers, you, you come to the show, Right? Not the TV show, but you come to the church. You come to the, the, the gathering of the chosen ones of God, of, of the sanctifying power on earth. You come here, and then we say, you know what? It would be a good idea to confess your sins. And you go, no! I mean, like, why did you even come? Why did you? I mean, we don't have cameras here, but why did you invite people into your life, but you don't want to jump on board? What if 2019 was totally different for our church? Where we didn't just pretend like, no, it's cool. I'm good. I'm good. This is fine. I'm okay with the events that are currently happening in my life. What could God do with us in six months, in six weeks, in six seconds, if we would just admit, you know what? I'm a hoarder. I've, I've kept a lot of junk in my life. People don't even have to say that mean thing to me anymore. I say it to myself over and over again. 
But the good news is we have a Savior. The good news is verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins. And this goes well with the hoarder illustration, to purify us. To purify us from all unrighteousness. The word confess can mean, you know, some of you maybe like had to go to confession. Somebody sent you into a room and you had to do that sort of thing. The, the Greek uh, in the original text means uh, homologogoinen. I don't know. That might not be right. Um, but it's a compound word meaning same saying or to say the same thing or to agree with. And so when we confess to God our sins, we agree with him. We're saying the same things about our junk, our brokenness, our hurts, our flaws, as God has been saying the whole time. It's not just listing our sins. It's recognizing our unworthiness in the sight of a holy God. And knowing the good news that he's a daddy who's like, you finally, I didn't just catch you doing wrong. You finally can be restored because you're agreeing with what happened. And you can agree with, with me taking your place. Some of you, you live in denial of, of stuff that's been generational. We don't believe that you're accountable for, for past sins that your family did. But we believe you're affected by it. And some of you were taught it's ordinary to live in denial. You were taught that your family should have secrets. I want you to raise your fa- hand if your family had a secret growing up that everybody had to protect Most of you are really good. You didn't raise your hand. You're still keeping the secret. We don't even raise the hand. For those brave enough to raise their hand, some of that stuff's super messy. Everybody was trying to protect this. A nice, quiet prayer is, God, I agree with you. That was sin. That was wrong. Not, I want to hide There was a little girl playing in her backyard and she found some water and she found some dirt and so she made mud. Grandma was supposed to be watching her but grandma was reading a book sitting in a chair facing a different direction. She knew the grandkid was safe but all of a sudden she looked over that direction, found the granddaughter just covered in mud. So she goes, washes her up, puts her in the backyard and then turns her stool to be able to face the child and face where the mud is. And the little girl started towards the mud. And she looked at her grandma and said, Don't look at me, Nana. Don't look at me, okay? It's cute when a kid does it, but when we do that with God, when, people, when we know better, and we say, God, just don't look. We're, we're trying to hide like Adam and Eve did. Confession brings healing. When we confess our sins to him and to each other, We'll talk more about that because recovery isn't something that happens in a vacuum. You go home, you go home, you go home, and don't talk to anybody else, but you recover. That's never how God's designed it, never how he's designed us to grow. When we do that, we're not hiding. We're saying it's safe. I will trust him. Verse 10 says it again like because we miss it the first time, not because I think John was repeating himself. He says in verse 10, if we claim to be without sin, We have made him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. We need to stop denying the pain, stop playing God, and start admitting our powerlessness. 
admitting that our lives are unmanageable. And back to verse 9, he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Max Lucado tells the following story. I googled it. It's true. There was a Chinese man named Li Fuyan. He tried every Every medical thing, every homeopathic thing, every treatment imaginable to, to get rid of his throbbing, stabbing headaches that he had. Nothing helped. Finally, an x-ray revealed that he had a four-inch rusty knife blade that had been lodged in his skull for four years. He had been attacked four years previous by a robber, and he was left with a... Um, a, a laceration on the side of his jaw. And so they bandaged that up. And it healed. But he had literally stabbing headaches because of what was going on inside of his skull. And finally, he had an x-ray. Let me remove that. Max Lucado comments, we can't live with foreign objects buried in our bodies or our souls. What would an x-ray of your interior reveal? Regrets over a relationship, remorse over a poor choice, shame about the marriage that didn't work, the habit you couldn't quit, the temptation you can't resist, the courage you can't find. That's guilt, and it lies beneath the surface festering, irritating, and you maybe even forgot, like, I just had a scar from that. No, you, you've got more than that. We're not just blemished by sin. The sin needs to be eradicated. And so John says, my dear children, I write to you so you won't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but the whole world. Imagine you're driving down the road at 105 miles per hour. A nice trooper pulls you over, drags you to the courthouse, to the jail. But you remember something. In that county, your dad is the judge. And so you're thinking pretty confidently. You start going to the court, but as you're entering the courtroom, you remember your dad's a really good judge. Uh, he, he doesn't punish the innocent, he punishes the guilty. He is good and he is just. And so you stand before your, your dad, the judge, and he says, son, this officer says, you were going a little fast. <laughs> How do you plead? You would be wise to say what? Guilty. Now he says the punishment for this is to spend a month in jail or spend to, to pay $5,000 in fees. The justice system favors the rich, right? No, no, that's a side, side note. But the judge imposes this fine, and you don't have the money. And so the bailiff begins to take you to jail, and some of, the, some of the policemen in the room are like, this is all wrong, it's wrong, it's all wrong. But this is my story. You're getting dragged, and you don't have the money, but your dad, the judge, comes down with his checkbook, and he writes a check on your behalf. It's up to us whether or not we want to accept that payment on our behalf. Or you could reject it. God does that for us. God is good. He is loving. And some people are like, he's only loving. And the Bible doesn't say just that. He is also just. He always does the right thing. And these things put him in an interesting situation because we have broken his laws. We're guilty before him. And so his justice demands a penalty. Thank goodness there's a Savior, right? 
thank goodness there is a way. We are not God. If we tried to put together our best to try to get into heaven, if we put together our best even to try to live here on earth, it doesn't go well. It never could. We need a savior. We need a savior. What if, church, we would over the next forever not pretend and realize that there's stuff that's happened to us, stuff we have done. Sometimes we talk so much about, like, we need to forgive other people when they, when they ask us, when they want to make amends. Yes, we need to hear that. But we need to be people who go. We need to be people in community. We can't just be the lone ranger. There's, there's group uh, study guides at the guest services desk, a whole pile of them. You can look into the scripture a little deeper on these things. We're going to be starting a Celebrate Recovery program here the first Tuesday in, in February. It's not for, it's not AA. It's for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. In my opinion, we can all go. What if you would, if you want to have a right relationship with Jesus in 2019 and beyond, start there, that I'm not God. I admit my life is unmanageable. My tendency is to do the wrong. And I want to be blessed because I'm going to declare that I'm spiritually bankrupt. I know nothing good lives in me. I have the desire to do good, but I can't carry it out. I need a Savior. Let's pray to our Savior. Father, thank you for being a good, a good God, a just God. Thank you for free will. Thank you for the choices you allow us to make. Thank you for loving us enough, dignifying us enough as created beings to have authority to choose whether or not to respond to your grace, to even acknowledge you. You give us choice, how good you are, how good you are in the, the lifeline that you throw to us, the rescuer, our Savior, Jesus, who came and though he knew everybody was broken, treated everyone lovingly and kind. And so would we treat everyone around us as you treat us? Would we live lives of just huge appreciation to you? Father, for some of us, this is ABCs. We've heard this before and good. But may we not miss this foundational truth. We're not God and we need a Savior. If we would confess our sins, you're faithful and you're just. You'll purify, you will forgive. Thank you for being a purifying, loving, just Father upon whom we can call and call upon in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.